Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, please join me in Mark chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 21 through 43. Um, It's kind of a long passage, but I feel like I have to read the entire thing for us to understand completely what's going on. It says this, starting in verse 21, it says, Jesus got into the boat again. Sounds like Pastor Hill. He's always getting in the boat. (laughs) Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. It says, then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she could live. And it says, Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. It says, then a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had even gotten worse. Said she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. It says, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of the terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crown pressing around you. How could you even ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. It says, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. It says, while he was still speaking to her, Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, they said, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Somebody say, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, While all this commotion and weeping, the children isn't dead, she's only asleep, Jesus said. And it says, the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And then he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. Says they were overwhelmed and totally amazed And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anybody what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. I'm going to take a moment to pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word tonight. Lord, it's not something that I take lightly. Lord, tonight I pray that your anointing would be upon me, upon the words that come out of my mouth. God, that it wouldn't be me speaking, but it would be you speaking through me. Lord, help me set myself aside so that you could speak to your people the message that you want them to hear. And God, I pray that you would get all the glory through everything that we say and do tonight. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I want to talk to you about this thought. Say, not in my house. Now, how many of you guys have heard, not in my house? Some of you guys have a, maybe you heard it from a grandma. Maybe you heard it from a mom or a dad. Maybe you heard it from an aunt. Maybe you heard it from yourself, <laughs> from your spouse. Um, this is something that most of us have heard. And usually when you've heard it, it's a command. It's not a question. It's not a gray area. It's a black and white statement not in my house. And you know, Caitlin and I, now that we have two kids, you know, this is a statement that we really have to learn and stick to. Because we have, we have a child, I'm not gonna name names, because I'm not, I don't want us to play favorites, but we have a child who likes to do everything. And he likes to get into everything, and he likes to do everything that you do, and if he sees somebody playing baseball on TV, he's going to play baseball with you. I mean, he, so we've had to teach ourselves how, <laughs> you know, we have to be able to say no. And if there's anybody that has to have the ability to say no, it's a parent. It's somebody that's trying to protect their home. It's somebody that's trying to watch out for their children. It's somebody that's trying to be a covering to the people that they care about. You know, sometimes, you know, your kids, they want to live a certain way. They want to stay up till two o'clock in the morning playing video games. What needs to happen? You need to walk into their room and say, not in my house. Right? You got people living in your house. They're grown. They don't want to work. They don't want to do any chores. You need to knock them up off of the couch and say, not in my house. You have to be bold enough to take a stance for your home, otherwise your home's gonna run all over you. You have to be able to say, not in my house. So if you're a parent and you've heard this statement, you know your kids, they wanna go out and drink and party, not in my house. They wanna cuss and talk back to you, not in my house. So what do you do when, what do you do when your house starts to fall apart? What do you do when it seems like life has been going well, when it seems like everything is falling into place and all of a sudden things start to crumble? You see, every single one of us in this room tonight, we're not exempt from struggle. If you have a family, your family's gonna come under attack. If you have children, your children are going to rebel against you. If you've ever lived with somebody, you've probably rebelled against them as well. <laughs> so there are things that will happen in life to every single one of us. There are things that we will go through, things that we will have to face, things that we will have to deal with. And in the moment, we don't always understand why. Why is this happening to my family? Why, why, why am I dealing with this sickness in my body? Why did my spouse lose their job? Why are my kids getting caught up in this? And oftentimes we, we are dealing with problems and struggles in our life, but really you have the problem that's showing up over here, but it's to deal with something inside of here. 
Because I've often learned that through every struggle I've been through in my life, at the end of the day, God was still dealing with me. So, <laughs> you know, if you're going through something right now, you can complain about it all you want. You could brag about the struggle. You could give the devil all kinds of credit or you could stop and take a look at your situation and say, okay, God, why are you bringing me through this? Why are you taking me through this in this season? What are you trying to do inside of me? What, what about me needs to change? Here's what God has to do. God has to deal with your posture. God has to deal with your posture. And in the beginning of the passage, it says this, Jesus got into the boat and then he went to the other side of the lake where there was a large crowd already gathered around him on the shore. And then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, he arrived. And when he saw Jesus, it says he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. And he said, please come lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. And it says, then Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. Here's what you've got to understand. Jairus wasn't just any man. Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. He wasn't, he wasn't just, you know, a, a normal person. Jairus was a, a person of stature. Jairus was a person of authority. Jairus was somebody um, that never had to be in a hurry. Right? You ever go to one of those conferences and there's like, you know, these famous people speaking, you know? <laughs> or maybe you're like this, honestly. And service has already started and, you know, they just come like strutting in late. <laughs> like they're not in a hurry at all. And people are watching them and looking at them and, you know, they really don't even care. You see, Jairus was, was a man of authority and he didn't have to be in a hurry. He didn't have to run after nobody, right? And Jairus was a man, picture this, picture a religious leader in the church with long robes. He, he, he was a man that not only was he not in a hurry, but he wasn't a man that was about to get down on his hands and feet and plead with somebody to do anything. He wasn't somebody that had to, that had to ask twice, right? He was somebody that had such authority, he could just speak to somebody, command them to do something, and they would do it. But we have Jairus, who appears to Jesus as a completely different person than he would appear to the people in the synagogue. And here's what's interesting. It says that Jairus was the leader of the local synagogue. And it says that when Jesus came, the crowd of the people were all around him. The people that Jairus himself was even leading. And yet Jairus was going through something in his life that was so important so vital, he found himself in a place of desperation. And by being in a place of desperation, it completely changed his posture. It completely changed his posture. Somebody who never got in a hurry is now in a place where he's running to meet Jesus. Somebody, somebody who never had to ask for anything and had extreme authority and power and esteem and prestige. 
now found himself at the feet of Jesus, begging and pleading, Jesus, will you please come and save my daughter? You see, oftentimes we wonder, God, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? And sometimes the reason why is God is trying to deal with your posture. You see, there's something wrong with the American church, and it's that we are so prideful. We are so prideful. What do I mean? I mean, I, I don't mean prideful as in we think that we're better than other people, but I mean pride as in, you know, the way that we worship, the way that we pray, the way that we seek God. And you know what's so inspiring? If you ever watch a video of a service being held in other countries, if you watch a video of a church service being held in India, in Brazil, in Africa, wherever the place might be, there are people who literally don't have cars, don't have electricity, they don't have running water, and yet they'll travel miles and miles and miles with their children, with their families, to be able to encounter God. But when it comes to the American church, we don't even like to leave our seats. We don't even like to show up early. We don't even like to press in. We don't even like to express ourselves too much. Otherwise, people might look at us differently. You see, there's something that is wrong with our posture. And many times you wonder, God, why am I going through this? And sometimes the reason why you're going through it isn't to punish you, but to get you back to the place where you're on your hands and knees again. Back to the place where you're pleading to Jesus instead of trusting in your own abilities. You see, Jairus was a leader in the synagogue, but he wasn't in the synagogue pleading with the religious leaders. He was at the feet of Jesus, desperately trying to get him to go to his home and to heal his daughter. You see, in order for you to be able to help your family, you have to first be willing to deal with yourself. And I find this story so interesting because it all starts out with Jairus' daughter and she's on her deathbed. She's on her deathbed, she's, she's dying. Jairus doesn't know what to do. He has money, but the money's not the answer to the problem. He has a great job, he has authority, but that's not the answer to the problem. He has resources to pay for doctors, but the doctors aren't giving him an answer to the problem. So now he's there at the feet of Jesus. And he's wondering, why is this happening to my family? Why is my baby girl going through the things that she's going through? And the reason why is because God was trying to deal with him. And it's hard, it's hard to stand in front of your family and command them to do right and to be right if you don't allow God to deal with yourself first. I can't command a certain posture out of my children that I'm not exampling before them myself. I can't tell my kids they need to be on time if I'm always late. I can't tell my kids they need to pay attention if I'm sitting in service on my phone. You see, God has to deal with your posture before he's gonna ever be able to change things around in your family and in your home and in your relationships and at your job. And here's what I've learned, that you cannot be casual in a state of crisis. 
You cannot be casual in a state of crisis. You know, when you're going through something so serious, it cannot be just business as usual. And here's what's interesting is that one of the pandemics that we face today is this casual Christianity where, you know, we'll serve God, but it's got to be convenient. You know, the church has to be the right temperature. There's got to be plenty of room around us. The seats have to be comfortable. The music can't be too loud. You know, they can't, they can't have too much of this, of this smoke. They can't have too many lights. You know, people get so picky. And it's their own pride and their own posture that's the problem. And so what happens is that sometimes in order to deal with casual Christianity, God will insert a crisis. He'll insert a crisis. Jairus, you've been religious your whole life. Things have gotten real comfortable for you. Things have gotten real easy for you. You show up, you do your thing, you go home. You're used to being where you're at. You lost the hunger, you lost the desire, you lost the thirst. You're just comfortable, it's casual. So Jairus, in order to get you out of religion, I'm gonna insert a crisis. Now, how are you going to respond when your daughter is dying? And you wonder why some of the things you face in this life, why you're going through them, God is trying to deal with your posture. And as I was beginning to you know, pray about what I would speak on tonight, I was actually two weeks ago, God uh, gave me this thought. And it's this, that a home doesn't operate, a home that doesn't operate in faith produces dead children. A home that doesn't operate in faith produces dead children. There's a difference between having faith and operating in it. There are a lot of people who are Christians. There are a lot of people who have faith. There are a lot of people who believe in God. There are a lot of people who, 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 who claim all these different things, but it's a completely different thing to be able to operate in it. Jairus, you've had faith for a long time. You've been religious for a very long time. You've taught people about faith for a long time. Now, Jairus, it's about time for you to walk the walk instead of just talk the talk. It's about time for you to start operating in your faith and, 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 and truly showing us if you believe in all of the things that you've been preaching. Because here's the thing, it's not just where you go, but it's what you do when you arrive. You could go to church, but what do you do when you get there? You can open up your Bible, but what do you do when it's open? It's about what you do when you get there. You could encounter Jesus, but what do you do when you get there? You see, Jairus was a man of authority. He was this religious man. He was used to going to church. He was used to praying. He was used to doing all these things. But what he was going through in that moment completely changed his approach. Now we have a man who would walk through the crowd and everybody's looking to him. Now we have this man at the feet of Jesus begging him to intervene in his daughter's life. And here's what I love about this. It says Jairus was the local synagogue leader. So all these people used to see Jairus up in front. 
They used to see him up high. They used to see him above everybody else and now they see him below everybody. Because here's what happens is that struggles and trials in your life, they bring everybody onto the same level. Because it doesn't matter how big you think you are, it doesn't matter how strong you think you are, how talented you think you are, every single one of us in this life, we're gonna go through something at some point. And what Jairus was going through completely changed his posture. Let me ask you this question. What good is it going to church if you never allow God to deal with your pride? Why even go to church if God is never able to deal with your pride? Why, why even raise your hands if you're not really worshiping? Why even close your, close your eyes and bow your head if you're not really even praying? You see, you have to be able to have the correct approach. Here's what James tells us in James 1.3. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Why am I going through this? Because through your testing, there comes growth. Through your testing, there comes growth. And you, you may look at it as a setback, but God was actually setting you up for growth. God was actually trying to help position you for greater things. God was trying to take you to a place to experience something that you've never experienced before. Think about this equation, faith plus pursuit equals life. Faith plus pursuit equals life. You could have faith, but if you lack pursuit, then you will lack life. You could have faith, but if you lack pursuit, you will lack encounter. You will lack a deeper relationship with God. You will lack God being able to move and turn your situation around because you cannot just have faith. You've got to have pursuit. That's why James also said, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Why did James say this? Because religion is not enough. Because showing up is not enough. You've got to be able to pursue God. You've got to have the right posture, the right approach, and you've got to be able to walk in faith to where you're now trusting God instead of trusting yourself. Jairus's posture changed from a place of power to a low place of humility, but it just wasn't his physical posture that changed. He moved from being a man who had the authority to take care of his business to a man who was powerless, who now had to trust in God and put his faith in him. So now his posture went from doing it his way to doing it God's way. Jesus, I'm putting it in your hands. God has to change your posture. You know, there's a war going on in Ukraine right now. And, um, you know, if in the military, they, they say this to you. They say, if you want to stay alive, you have to keep moving. If you want to stay alive, you have to keep moving. Because as soon as you stop moving, things start to die. So why is going to church so important? Why do you need to serve? 
Because when you stop moving, parts of your life start dying. And we're living in a day and age where you cannot afford to get comfortable. You cannot afford to just miss church whenever you want to. You cannot afford to not be serving and building the kingdom of God. You cannot afford to just be religious. You've got to change your approach. In order to stay alive, you have to keep moving. You miss one service, then you miss another service, then you stop moving, then you stop being as involved, then you stop worshiping like you used to, you stop praising like you used to, and before you know it, your entire world is falling apart and you're asking yourself, why? Why is this happening to me? Why are my children acting this way? Why is my house in chaos? It's because you stopped moving. Jairus had the authority, he had the stature, he had uh, endless resources, but at the end of the day, his job wasn't going to save his daughter. At the end of the day, money wasn't gonna fix his problems. At the end of the day, he couldn't command somebody to fix it. Only Jesus could bring life into the dead situation. That's why Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you could search the world for everything else. You could have every other desire that you want to chase after, but it's not going to save your family. Because at the end of the day, when you're in the middle of crisis, it's not about what you have, it's about what he has. And it wasn't about what Jairus had in that moment, it was about what Jesus had. And Jairus was a man of authority enough to know that I've got to look elsewhere. And he got a hold of Jesus. So I want to tell, tell you this tonight, that God's not punishing you. He's trying to produce something in you. You've got to understand that God's not against you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to change your posture. He's trying to help you grow. He's trying to bring forth something out of your life. Think about all of the years Jairus spent leading in the synagogue. What did he produce? What did he produce? And yet one encounter with Jesus completely changes his life. And here's what I find interesting is that in this passage that we read, we have Jairus and we have his daughter who is dying and he's desperate and he's in need of a miracle and he's begging Jesus and he's saying, please come to my home. He has to deal with his pride. He has to, he has to run after Jesus. He has to get down low. He has to beg and ask. And when Jesus finally agrees, when Jairus had finally set aside his pride, it says, Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. And then as they begin to walk together, it says a woman, say a woman. She decided that it was her turn first. And, and it says that she pushed through the crowd and she got a hold of Jesus. Then Jesus has this encounter with the woman. She receives healing and all these other things happen. And in the middle of all that, then messengers come from Jairus's home and they say, Jairus, it's too late, she's dead. And here's what I find interesting is that God must have really been dealing with Jairus because not only, not only did, did Jairus have to run after Jesus, 
Not only did Jairus have to get down low, not only did Jairus have to admit within himself, I can't fix this, you have to, and beg for Jesus to come. Not only did all that happen, but Jesus also made him wait. Why did Jesus make him wait? You see, that's why I had to read the whole passage because Jesus made him wait. Maybe, just maybe, he was still dealing with that old pride. Maybe, just maybe, he was trying to get a hold of Jairus on a deeper level that was gonna leave him completely changed and not just going back the same way he came. Because if you read James, it says it's the testing of your faith. And unless you pass the test, you're gonna keep going through it again and again and again until God can get you to a place where you're finally able to grow. Not only do you have to run after me, Jairus, not only do you have to put your faith in me, not only do you have to get down low, but you've gotta be able to wait on me. You've gotta be able to wait your turn. A man that never had to wait. A man that didn't have to sit in the drive-through. Right? Jesus is saying, hold on. Sorry, buddy, you're gonna have to wait. So God has to deal with your posture, then God has to deal with your influences. God has to deal with your influences. Here's what's very interesting. Man, I've gotta hurry. In verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. Listen to this. Don't allow other people to make life-changing decisions for your family. Don't allow other people to make life-changing decisions for your family. It says that the messengers from his own home came to him and said, Jairus, it's too late, she's dead, now stop bothering Jesus. Leave Jesus alone, it's too late. Here's what you've gotta catch. That was the message coming out of his own home. That was the message that his own family was speaking. That was the message that his own family was saying to him. You see, God has to be able to deal with your influences. And let me ask you this question tonight. What kind of message is coming out of your home? What kind of message is coming out of your home? Because you could tell me one thing, but what does your spouse say? What are your kids saying? What kind of message is coming out of your home? Jairus, I thought you were a religious leader. I thought that you were this man with great power and great authority. If, if you were this man of authority and power and religious and you knew the word, then why is your family not even walking in faith? Then why doesn't your family even believe? Then why is your family trying to get you to turn away from Jesus? God has to deal with your influences. And think about this, if Jairus would have listened to the people in his own home, his daughter would have stayed dead. 
If Jairus would have listened to his own family, his own friends, his own circle of influence, his daughter would have stayed dead. He would have said, okay, it's too late and just turned around and went home. But Jairus refused to give up on his baby girl. And here's what I want to tell you tonight, that you've got to believe for your family, even if they don't believe. If they don't want to come to church, you come to church anyways. If they don't want to worship, you turn up your worship music as loud as you can, and you just go ahead and praise him. If they don't want to read the Bible, they don't want to hear the word, then you sit there and you just declare the word over them. You don't want to read it, I'm going to speak it over you. You've got to believe for your family, even if they don't want to believe for themselves. God was trying to deal with his influences. Because the problem wasn't just Jairus, it wasn't just his pride, but the problem was also the people in his own home. It was their posture, it was their attitude, it was their lack of faith. And think about this, his home wasn't just his family, it was filled probably with his closest friends, the people that he worked with, the people that he served with, the people closest to him, and yet all of these people closest to him, that was the message coming out of their life. And you've got to ask yourself this question. If you're struggling with your own walk and with your own faith, then you've also got to take time to evaluate your own influences. What are the people closest to you speaking into your ear? Are the people around you saying, Jairus, don't give up. I still believe in miracles. Jesus is still able. Your daughter's still gonna live. Jairus, don't you give up now. Jairus, you've gone too far. You've put too much energy into this. Don't you quit, Jairus, have faith. Or are they telling you, you know, your kids are too messed up. You know, just let them live their life. You know, they'll come back later on. You know, you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to run your kids off. You know, you don't want to, you know, offend them, you know. What are the people closest to you speaking into your ear? Because if it's not faith, then you've got to reevaluate who you're allowing in your home and who you're letting influence your life. That leads me to number three. God has to deal with your home. God has to deal with your home. It says, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anybody go with him except Peter, James, and John. He's with Jairus, there's the multitude, there's the woman that got healed, there's all these people. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, you know what, you guys can't go with us. Because where I'm going, it's not for you. This isn't the fish, this isn't the loaves, this ain't supper time. Because where I'm going, this is for Jairus and it's for his home. And not everything that God does in your life is for everybody. You don't have to share all your business. You don't have to tell everybody every little detail. If God is doing a work inside of you and inside of your home, sometimes it's just for you. And other people need to get out of your house. Other people need to stop calling you up. Other people need to stop, you know, speaking things into your ear because it's not about them. Then they weren't invited, amen? So it says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Then he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? 
The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. It says the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. He said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. And the little girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And it says they were overwhelmed and amazed. And then Jesus gave them orders. Don't tell anybody what happened and make sure you give her something to eat. And I want you to write this down. You don't have time to entertain guests when you're supposed to be taking care of your family. You don't have time to entertain guests when you're supposed to be taking care of your family. Jairus didn't need any more people in his circle. Jairus didn't need any more people on his friends list. Jairus didn't need more people following him in the synagogue. Jairus didn't need more people that he could influence, that he could speak life over and coach and lead and guide. What Jairus needed to do was take care of his own family because the message coming out of his own house wasn't even of faith. And here's the thing, if you can't take care of your own family when you're too busy trying to take care of other people. When, when you're on the phone all day with all your friends, calling back and forth, texting back and forth, but you're not even investing in your own children. When you spend all day knowing about everybody else's business, what's going on in their life, and yet you don't even know what's happening in your kids. You don't have time to entertain guests when, when your family's in need. And so when Jesus got to the house, he saw everything that was going on, and he said, wait a minute. These people got to get out of here. And he kicked them all out of the house. He did what Jairus should have done a long time ago because he was trying to deal with the home. Jairus, I got to deal with you. I got to deal with the influences in your life. And I've got to deal with your home because there's some stuff in your home that shouldn't be there anymore. Jairus, you've allowed some things to occupy space in your house, to take up room, to cause mess, to create commotion while leading you to neglect your own family. That's why I think when, when his daughter got up and he told, he told him, don't tell anybody about this and to feed her, I think it was symbolic that Jairus, don't worry about all those people I just kicked out, but take care of your daughter. Take care of your family, Jairus, because while you were being religious, while you were trying to lead everybody else, your own family fell apart because you weren't there. Somebody say, take out the trash. <laughs> There's some stuff in your life, it may have been good for a season. Those friends may have been there for a season. Those influences may have helped you in a season, but how many of you know that some things expire? And when something is expired, things start to get really sour. They start to get stinky. They start to get messy. And the people that Jairus allowed to be in his home, Jairus' daughter was dead, and the people were the ones causing commotion. Jairus and his wife were mourning, and the people were causing commotion. Jairus was trying to speak faith. Jesus was trying to speak faith. Disciples were trying to speak faith. And Jairus' friends were laughing. Those friendships had expired. Those influences had expired. And I'm telling you, Jesus was trying to get Jairus to realize it's time to take out the trash because you don't have room for toxic relationships. Not in my house. 
You don't have room for people who only criticize. Not in my house. I don't have room for negativity. Not in my house. Because if it's not faith, then it's got to go. So you've got to take out the trash. You've got to clean your floors. Literally, some of you guys, please clean your floors. Do you know what's interesting about people is that when people are building a home or they're remodeling, they try to pick out floor that doesn't show dirt. I mean, think about the whole concept behind that. I wanna pick out a floor that doesn't show dirt. Give me a flooring that doesn't show dirt. People too lazy to clean up their own mess. That's really what it is. And here's the thing, just because you can't see the dirt doesn't mean it's not there. You've got to stop just looking clean. You've got to stop just wearing the robes. You've got to stop just being religious. And you've got to clean up your life and clean up your home. Because in your house, there's not room for those old addictions. In your house, there's not room for pride. In your house, there's not room for your past to creep up again. And just because you cover up a stain with a rug doesn't mean it's not there. You've got to clean up your house. And you've got to make improvements. You know, there are a lot of people who things were going good, things look great, things were good in your family, but then over time things began to lose their shine. Things started to get dull. They didn't look as good as they used to. Maybe at one point they looked really nice, but now they become worn, they become now dated. And here's the thing is that's you. There was a point where maybe Jairus was real on fire for God. I wanna, I wanna spread the word to everybody. I wanna give people hope. I wanna lead them in the right direction. I wanna make a difference in the world. Maybe Jairus was that person at one point, but then things got easy and things got comfortable and he slipped into this religious lifestyle where he no longer pursued God like he used to. What does your posture look like? And if it doesn't look like it once did, then maybe it's time to make some improvements. As the worship team comes, you've gotta be careful about who you let in your house. And here's the thing, people can only get in your house if you let them in. And I don't know about you, but I don't, want toxic people around my kids. And I don't care who it is, if it's my own family, I will kick them out of my house before I let them influence my kids in a negative way. I don't care how long I've known the person. I don't care how long we've been friends. If they start leading my family in the wrong direction, they've got to go. I don't care how great the advice was that they used to give me, if they stop speaking faith over my family, they've got to go. You see, you've gotta be careful with who you let in your house. Because the people that Jairus let in his home, they were the ones in there causing commotion. They were, in their, they were the ones who were mocking God. They were the ones causing issues. And I wonder 
if the message that they sent Jairus when the daughter had died was because of the influence of the people in the home. I wonder who even sent the message. Was it Jairus's wife? Because I know something, if Caitlin just lost her baby girl, she's not worried about sending any message. She's mourning, she's weeping, she's probably not even able to speak. So who sent word to Jairus to give up on Jesus? It's too late, she's dead, you might as well turn around. It was the people that were allowed into their home. So you've gotta be careful about who you choose to enter into a relationship with. You've gotta be careful about who you even let babysit your children. You don't need people in your life who only make everything about themselves when you're trying to save your family. So Jairus, as I begin to close, it says, you know, Jairus, what his life, it looked like the problem was his daughter's health. It looked like the, the problem was his daughter's health. His daughter's sick, they don't know what to do, she's dying. But really the problem was in him. It was his posture, it was his influences, it was even his own home. So you've gotta ask yourself tonight, why are you going through what you're going through in this season? I know it's not because God's punishing you. I know it's not because God uh, doesn't love you. But maybe God is trying to help you see some things in your life that you didn't even realize. And here's what's even more interesting. If you look up Jairus's name and its meaning, Jairus in Hebrew means this, it means God enlightens. It means God enlightens. And I believe that was God's plan the whole time to enlighten Jairus, to see that there's more to life than a position. There's more to life than the amount of people that you're leading. There's more to life than money and influence and power. There's your home. There's your family. And Jairus, if you can't take care of your home and if you can't take care of your family, then you're not ready for anything else. So he had to insert a crisis into Jairus's life to break that lifestyle in him. I'm gonna read a final passage as I close. And I love this passage because to me it just it speaks revival. You could stand to your feet tonight. In Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 34. We have Paul and Silas, they've been locked up. They've been beaten, they've been bloodied. And they had this worship experience in the middle of the night. And they get set free from their chains and revival breaks loose through the dungeon. And some of you guys, that's what you need to happen in your life. You need a revival to break loose in your dungeon, amen? It says this, it says, I love this so much. The jailer 
called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Says, then he brought them out and he asked them, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everybody in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. And it says, even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And it says, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Do you know what this is? This is revival. And this is a revival that takes place not just in your life, but in your household. And here's one of the problems with our culture and our society in the world today is that the family unit has been under attack for many years. And it's not been by accident. The family unit has been under attack. Why? Because the devil knows that families are weaker when there's not a mom and a dad in the home. Because if the mom is struggling and she stays home, there could still be a, a Jairus who goes and gets Jesus on behalf of the family. So the enemy has worked so hard to tear apart the family unit, to destroy households. And that's why we have so many people, so many broken homes with children who are suffering the consequences and are struggling in their lives. And it's because we've not sought revival for our households. You see, it's one thing for me to experience Jesus for myself, but I'd rather experience Jesus in my household. I know God is good. I know God is faithful. I know that God does amazing things, but I want my children to know that. I want my son to feel the love of God invade his room and to just feel wrapped by the arms of Jesus. I want my daughter to experience God's goodness and to experience that fullness of joy, that Shekinah glory fall down in her life. I want my kids to experience that. I want household revival, but I know that I can't have household revival unless God deals with me. He's gotta deal with my posture before anything else. He's gotta help me get my house right. He's gotta make sure that I have the right influences, that I'm under the right people and not just letting anybody speak into my life. So tonight I wanna do something kind of different. If you're with your family or a close friend, can you guys just come to the front? Maybe join hands, maybe gather together. A little bit different altar call than normal. But I believe that this message is for your household. Because your kids need to see you run after Jesus like you used to. Your kids need to see you set aside everything else and fall back down at his feet again. Your kids need to see you put your faith in God even when it looks like the situation is, is too far gone. Even when it looks like it's too late, your kids need to see you still, still believe. They need to still hear you speaking faith. Your kids need to see that in you. We've got to build stronger homes. 
So as they begin to play and sing, I want everybody just begin to raise your hands and begin to pray over your family members. God, we thank you for every family here tonight. Every mom, every dad, every son, every daughter. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, in our hearts. God, deal with us tonight. God, help me change my posture so that I lead my family in the right direction. God, help me not become religious. Help me not just treat you casually, but God, help me reach a place of desperation again. God, where I'll run past the crowd and right to your feet. God, where I'm not worried about who's looking. God, where I'm not worried about who's around me, but God, where you're the number one desire. God, let that fire in our hearts burn again. Let that passion to serve you be stirred up again. God, do a work in all the fathers that every father would lead their family, that every father would speak faith, that every father would walk in your truth. God, that every mother would be a prayer warrior. God, that every mother would be a worshiper. God, that every child would be a believer. God, that every child would know your glory and know your goodness. God, strengthen these families. Help us be stronger, God. Just keep praying. For some of you, you haven't prayed with your family like this in a long time. We're building stronger families. Building stronger families. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 